Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast where we explore Scottish history and nature. I'm Jenny. And I'm Annie. And in this series, we've bladded with my lovely Granny and Papa, who have told us wee nuances of the mid-20th century in rural Scotland. In this episode, we're going to be learning about the role of the blacksmith, or the smiddy as your grandfather calls it. Um, and we'll delve into the wider culture, mythology and history of blacksmiths in Scotland. But first, let's start off nice and simple for anyone who isn't familiar with rural trades. Annie, what is a smithy? Okay, so a blacksmith is a metalsmith who makes or fixes items, usually out of iron or steel, by forging them. And my grandfather will explain it so much better. Can you describe a blacksmith to someone that's never been to a smithy and doesn't know what a blacksmith is? Well, it's just somebody that has to form different shapes in the fire with a anvil with red hot metal. Yeah, aye. That's I mean, what else can you do? That's what the blacksmith does: makes things, mend the shoes, horses, of course, makes the shoes and knocks them on. So, aye. That is all blacksmithing, <laughs> repairing implements, plows again, like laying socks. The socks is a bit that digs into the ground. You, they all get worn off and you need to weld bits on in the fire. Oh, I love this description. To make shapes with the anvil, with fire and with red hot metal. In so much Scottish history, we stumble across the uses of fire as something more than just practical. Fire is critical in both survival and tradition, but also comes up prominently in myth and folklore. Yes. And I think we found some really beautiful mythologies about the blacksmith to stoke this fire. When I was wee, I used to run round my grandfather's smiddy, and more than anything... Wow, health and safety was really, really different back then. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one time he made me and my brother, and we must have just been maybe 
four and six. <laughs> he made us these wee swords out of iron. <laughs> so like And swords. they were really pointy. But they were only wee swords. <laughs> and my mum came home and she was so appalled. And she hid the swords from us because she thought that they'd be really dangerous. No. And then I spent the rest of my childhood on a quest to, to get these <laughs> swords back. I think because we were forbidden to play with them. Did you ever find them? Multiple times, and multiple times they were hidden from me as well. <laughs> the elusive swords of Annie's childhood. <laughs> but yeah, I remember the heat of the blacksmith, often smoke and the hissing of water, and then the scent because it is such a strange smell in the blacksmith. Mm. It's a mixture of this smokiness from the forge and a kind of sweet, bitter smell of burnt hoof from when Papa was putting on the horseshoes. Because you see, my Papa was not just a blacksmith, he was also a farrier. Ah, okay, yes. So a blacksmith does all sorts of metalwork, but a farrier is a particular trade, right? That's the person who makes shapes and applies horseshoes and horseshoes only. Yes. So horses wear shoes when they're going to the dancing. Joke. Uh, they they gotta wear... get gotta get all, all those mares, am I right? You know, gotta get, mm, gotta make a dancing hooves on. <laughs> check my moves. Ah, uh, check my moves. Ah, uh, I'm dancing like a horse right now, but it's not really translating into podcast. It's no very good, Jenny. I, it's a long tail, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm having a mare. <laughs> no. Horses wear shoes to protect their hoofs from wearing down. And when my papa started as a blacksmith, he would have been working with both farm horses of everyday people and also leisure horses kept by both crofters and aristocrats alike. This is my leisure horse. His name is Clarence. And if you could feed him this lemon water while you're hooving him, he would much appreciate it. (laughs) No! So my papa used to tell me stories of horseshoeings. And he really did all horses great and small, from big Clydesdales to wee Shetlands. And from all kinds of people across the classes. Now, I find these stories really intriguing. And the Smiddy is one of the places that completely shaped me growing up. (laughs) Would you say it forged you as a person, Annie? Really knocked your personality into shape? Did did, did it heat, mould you? Did it mould you? Did, did an anvil come down on your being? Let's go back to my papa. <laughs> well, the, the time was, when I started, it was to eight o'clock in the morning to half past five at night. Huh? But you just got half an hour for your dinner. And you'd no break, you'd no in between. You never got... Again, they talk about breaks for 10 o'clock and 3 o'clock. You never go to any yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. You work for 8 o'clock to, tw- to 12, and then it'd be half past 12 to half past 5. And a lot after that, if the old blacksmith wouldn't, wouldn't get you, let you <laughs> away, if there was something needing done, you just a date. You never got paid extra for it. Though. What was the importance of the blacksmith in Scotland in 1950s? Well... Put it this way, he was the most important man as far as the farmers were concerned, because the farmers couldn't do their work if they didn't have a blacksmith. I mean, the plough metal was aye getting worn in the ground, and the cultivators and the rip, the, the harrows 
day to get new teeth made. The hair is just the the, the hair of teeth would last maybe about three or four seasons, but they were having to get renewed the new teeth in the horrors and this was all the blacksmith's work. But all that disappeared when modern machinery started. Mm. And I mean, the bl- when that disappeared, the blacksmith started disappearing too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, when you first started in the smithy, what kind of things did you make? Oh, the first job you got when you were in the smithy, when I first started with Bob Laurie, was making staples, okay? Mm-hmm. And that was for knocking into posts for putting, hooking the gate onto, you know? And there was a, it was just for practice, for to get used to working the hammer and the anvil. And then he used to, he made a, maybe a couple of dozen staples. I didn't like doing it again. Once you got into the way of making them, it was quite easy. And then he used to make S hooks. Again, S hooks are about that length, but they're the shape of an S. You know, they were sort of, and they were for, if a farmer broke a chain, mm-hmm. he, he, he joined the chain out with the S hook and then just, Chapped it together, mm-hmm. just to, for the farmer to go on with his work, he can. But if you had any time to come to the smithy and get it welded, you had maybe a couple of dozen S hooks. and They used to come in and maybe get half a dozen S hooks or half a dozen staples, whatever you wanted. And it was the apprentice's job to make sure there was any plenty of them. And once you learned how to make them, you had to keep topping up the... There was drawers... Or so for whatever you know, s hooks and staples, and Aye. this is what you are. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what you started off in the fire with staples and s hooks. And <laughs> Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So I found this wee poem in a Berwickshire bard, The Songs and Poems of Robert McLean Calder, published in 1897. It talks about how the smiddy is the place where everyone in the village wants to meet, is a social place. Alright, let's uh, let's crack on, I'm feeling literary. Let's do a wee verse. When around the clackin' for the plantin' to the school, there's no a body stirrin' and the gloamin' oor is still. There's aye a grand exception, for at almost any hour, there's sure to be a gathering at the old smiddy door. Ah, lovely. And I think this comes from the smiddy serving so many different people within the rural community, that the smiddy itself becomes like a fountain of the town's knowledge. The blacksmith always knows what's going on. Ah, we gossips. <laughs> we, we gossipy blacksmiths. 
And what's brilliant is in so many archives, you see blacksmiths being mentioned as kind of the the town's storyteller. Oh, yes, yeah. I read um, that blacksmith up in Caithness who was so good at telling ghost stories that all of the ghost men... horses came to get hoofed there. <laughs> <laughs> all of the men would come to his house and he'd tell them ghost stories and then they'd be too afraid to leave. <laughs> they, wow. They all just stayed in his house. He was like, I really wish you guys would stop coming around and forcing me to feed you and tell you stories. <laughs> Are you at least going to pay me? Or maybe maybe we can horse your, show your horse while you wait. A, a wee dram. A wee, a wee, dram. A wee dram would do. Lovely. Let's okay. head back to Papa. <laughs> Why did you choose to be a blacksmith? I fancy the job again. I, I was I fond of the fire work, work at the anvil, you know, making raw iron stuff and shoeing horses. I liked, I liked, I enjoyed doing that. What did the smithy look like when you were 15? The smith, well, when I went to the smithy, the, the smithy I served my time in, it was just like an old-fashioned smithy. It was just one big room and two fires working away in an electric welder and things like that, okay? And I served my, I did my time with this chap, Bob Laurie, at Thornhill. But I'd just done three years with him. I didn't like him. He wasn't very, I mean... I was doing the same work three years after I started serving my time. He just needed cheap labour, you know? Mm-hmm. So I decided to try my hand at something else. So this, the Martins of Closeburn, they were known down there as the King of Craftsmen. They were blacksmiths, they like. And I used to run a book with some of the Martin, Martin boys. One of them was about the same age as me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I tell them, I, I tell all Ned Martin that I wasn't very happy where I was. And I says, no chance of a job with you. He says, oh no. He says, there's five of them, five boys all working in the smithy. Mm-hmm. He says, we've plenty of workers for ourselves. But I says, he says, a, a, a kind of good boy looking for an apprentice. He says, I could take you and, and introduce you. So I went away out to Castle Douglas and a man, Tom Anderson, took me on. And he was a better kind of boss than what all Bob Laurie was, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was telling a four about this old Johnny Brune. No, he was, uh, he was the boy at, at the, the But Jockey McCall, he was the blacksmith down in Kirkland. And this old bull bloody, he had sent, as I tell you, four, he sent us off at 10 o'clock on a Saturday to shoe a couple of Clydesdales. And when I went through Kirkland Village, the old blacksmith there, he hadn't a car or anything, but I didn't know him, but I saw the old man standing with his message bag and he was waiting in the bus into Money Eye, you know? So I thought, I'll stop and give him a lift. So I, left, I gave him a lift into, into Money Eye. And the way he got into the car, he was all, can you twist it up? Again, he's just swinging, he's bad with a threat, swing his soldier in the boot. And he got his eye on my tools, the, the blacksmith's tools and the shoes. And he, he says, there's the way he spoke like. And as he got into the car and sat down, he looks at me and he says, are you a blacksmith? <laughs> and I says, I am a blacksmith. He says, so am I. I says, oh, I can not. I says, you're joking, joking my call, aren't you? 
He says, oh, well, you've heard of me. I says, oh, everybody's heard of you, Johnny. I never, again, they all knew each other, the old blacksmith. So he says to me, he says, you know, he says, I'm retiring in about three months' time. And he says, I'll be heartbroken. He says, I've got two sons and they're not interested in the smithy. And he says, the McCall's has been in Kirkland Smithy since before the Battle of Culloden. And he says, I've got pictures, portraits up in the wall in the, in the sitting room of all the blacksmiths that was ever here, they're all McCall's, you know. And he said, it even goes back to before the camera was in the go, they were all paintings, you know. And he said, I could follow my ancestry a wee Batsy before the Battle of Culloden. And he says, I'll be heartbroken when the smithy closes. And he says, you know, if I knew some young chap that was interested, <laughs> he says, I would, he says, if I knew some, chump, some young chap that was interested, I'll give them a smithy for nothing. I says, Christ, I'm your man then, Johnny. And that's how I started up in business. That's how I got started in business. Because that, I met that old man. And it's just about three miles from Kirkland where I picked him up to Money Eye. And that short distance, he gave me that smitty. And that changed your life, you know, in, in that sense. That was like a real... Wow. Ken, I was delighted. And this old man, I just met, I just met him. And he gave me the bloody smitty for nothing. <laughs> So when looking into blacksmith mythology, I found something truly weird in a book called Notes on the Folklore of Northeast Scotland. Ooh, sounds promising. I like it. I like it. Firstly, and this is a bit of a strange question, Jenny, do you know what Ricketts is? What do you take me for, Annie? I am a specialist in ye olde diseases that we no longer suffer from because of vitamins. Yes, my gran used to say if we did not eat all our veggies, then we would get rickets. And actually, I don't know what rickets is, but it scared me, and so I ate all my veggies. But do you know what rickets is now? Uh, Google says that rickets is a condition that affects bone development in children due to lack of vitamin D. Uh, but some children can also be born with it, apparently. It can be genetic. It causes bone pain, weak bones, and can lead to deformities. Rickets used to be way more common back in the day, um, but now a lot of our food is fortified with vitamin D already in the UK, and so it's a lot less common here now. <clears throat> so now I do know what rickets is. Thank you. Anyway, the folks <laughs> of North East Scotland have a special way of curing rickets. So this source was published in the late Victorian period, but was likely from much before this. So, can you be a rural northeast superstitious Scot from, say, 1790? Like that time period? Yes, I can. Ricketts was cured by laying. The child was taken afore sunrise to a smithy in which three blacksmiths of the same name wrought. A tub was filled with water, and this water was heated by plunging pieces of hot iron amongst it until temperatures were raised to that hot enough for a pleasant bath. The blacksmith then received the child for the mother and bathed them in the water. He also gave the child a little of the water to drink. After being bathed, the young patient was laid on the anvil and all the tools of the smithy were passed near it, one by one, and the use of each tool was explained. A second bath was followed and no fee was to be exacted. Okay, so 
for this particular Vicket's cure to work, the folk superstition says that you cannot pay the blacksmith. So the blacksmiths wow. must do it out of the goodness of their hearts. Wow. What if the blacksmith's like, this is the fourth Ricketts patient today, people. I gotta get you in these horses. You need to just eat your vegetables. True. Yeah, so maybe a blacksmith should double up as veggie sailor. Salesman. <laughs> Salt side business. You know? So this... <laughs> so... <laughs> so the... <laughs> Okay, so the folklore states that if the blacksmith takes any fee, then the cure is completely voided. Oh. So they're essentially just giving the child a wee bath, giving them some irony water to drink, mm. and then showing them all the blacksmith tools. But it could be like, you know, you're getting an apprentice. This is like you get them when they're young, you know? Like, you, you instill that the blacksmith saved my life, gave me a nice bath, and hydrated me, and taught me all about these fun tools. I want to be a blacksmith when I'm older, you know? So maybe in the long run, it pays off because you have, you know, a, a work, a young, young, young kids who want to come and work for you because they remember their lives being saved by a gnarly man in a place that smells like burnt horse food. And his kind smile. But this isn't the strangest blacksmith myth that we've found. We also have a story here of a blacksmith and a water kelpie. Now this was a mischievous water kelpie, a spirit of a horse who lives within the water. Oh, have you been to the kelpies down in Falkirk? I went quite recently and for the first time and they are incredible. They're this big massive sculpture for anyone that doesn't know. Give them a Google or check out our Instagram because I put a picture of them up there. Did you enjoy your trip to the Kelpies then, Jenny? Yes, they were great. They were astounding. If you do come to visit Scotland, they are a must-see for sure. Tell us what they look like for someone who's not on the Instagram right at this minute. They are two horses' heads rearing out of the ground. Don't know how tall they are, but they're massive, big metal sculptures of two Kelpies rising from the water. They're surrounded by a canal. Canal boats can actually go between the Kelpies, which I did not know, which is really cool. Um, the Falkirk Wheel, so another really cool piece of architecture down in Falkirk that's also well worth the visit. Um, bit of like engineering magic, essentially. But yeah, if you're down in the area or you're visiting, um, definitely check out them both. Falkirk is a wonderful town. Aye, so the Kelpie in our blacksmith stories looks just like these statues. And this particular tale is about an evil Kelpie who would splash travellers as they passed over the river where he lives. Or trick them into riding upon its back so that he could gallop them into a watery death, as Kelpies are famous for. Ooh. And there's a story of a Kelpie bothering a blacksmith's family. Now, whenever the blacksmith was busy at work, the Kelpie would visit his family at their shilling, and he would terrorise the children and annoy the blacksmith's wife. Mum, 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 mum. Oh, just kidding, it's not your kid, it's a Kelpie. Woohoo! You missed a spot over there. Okay, so the blacksmith (laughs) resolved to capture this Kelpie. And this greatly frightened his wife because she was worried that the Kelpie would manage to trick the blacksmith and carry him off into its pool. You'll never catch me, I'm a magical Kelpie. (laughs) Okay, however, we have a very cunning blacksmith. Darn. And he made a special bridle from iron and he put a cross upon it. An ancient legend state that the shape of a cross can bind a Kelpie. So when the Kelpie made his regular appearance... Oh, here to make fun of your wife! <laughs> the blacksmith waited patiently in hiding. 
And when the Kelpie showed himself, the blacksmith took the bridle and with all of his might put it over the head of the Kelpie. Oh no, you've got me! I did not see you in that bush! And now the Kelpie was captured and it became docile and was forced to help around the farm. <laughs> moving heavy stones. The folklore says that this Kelpie now had to diligently work, doing the same amount of work that 12 horses could do. So the blacksmith was very, very glad to have captured the Kelpie. Aye, the blacksmith was. I was a region. One day, the blacksmith foolishly took the bridle off the Kelpie, and the Kelpie galloped away and cursed the blacksmith for making it pull so many stones. I'm away, you big pillock! <laughs> Jenny! <laughs> Yonder to the hill! Here, get on my back, we're going for a ride! <laughs> and that's the story of the blacksmith and the Kelpie. I honestly was on the Kelpie's side that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have told. I kind of, I, I do love the, the idea of a blacksmith and a kelpie sort of working together on some levels because iron and horseshoes in particular are commonly found in fairy tales and folklore to actually protect against creatures from the mythological dimension. Yes. So, for example, it used to be that a lost horseshoe was one of the luckiest items that you could find because they had so many protective powers. So if you nailed a horseshoe to your boat, you would protect it from these pesky kelpies. And if you were worried about fairies or witches souring your milk, which was a common worry, let yes, me tell you, yes, back then, was. very common worry, you could just slip a horseshoe nail into the milking pail and they would be deterred. Although I would just wash it first. Just give it a good wash after you take it out the horse. Is this like a used horseshoe nail or like an, a new horseshoe nail, you know? I think to be magic, it really should have been used. In the horse, you're right. Yeah, give that a good wash. If you have soap. I don't know, it could be like the 1600s. Did they have soap in the 1600s? Yes. Okay, well, use that soap that you've got back then. And also, you have to remember to remove that nice clean nail from the pail before you make cheese, or else you're going to have a really a rough time. Also, if you put your horseshoe under the butter as you turn it, you'll have a healthy cow. <laughs> That's all we want in life, really. Healthy cows. Healthy cows and lucky butter. Let's go back to Papa. <laughs> what do you think is the most important qualities for a good man? <laughs> Honestly, I would say. And I mean, I was as honest as I could be that I couldn't think of any, I never tell any lies about anybody. Can you describe how the smiddy smelt and <laughs> felt? How hot was it? Well, it was hot enough when you were shoeing horses because you had the fire going and you were burning the, the red hot shoe at the horse's fit, so there's plenty of heat there. You're never calling a smiddy. <laughs> <laughs> and what did it smell like? Well, just... It was it was a kind of obnoxious smell for some folks, but I, I didn't mind it. You got the smell of the burning hoof, you know, all the time. It didn't matter if you're a week after you'd showed horse, you still got this smell lingering, you know, mm -hmm. the smell of the horse's hoof. And it was oh, quite like the smell. How do you show a horse? Well, the first thing, you get to know the horses, but, I mean, once they get to know you, they'll lift their feet up for you before you go near them. Mm -hmm. And once they know what you're wanting... You just need to rub your your hand in the horse's leg and it'll lift its foot up for you. It doesn't put any weight on you. It just lifts its foot for you. 
when it counts, what it's supposed to do, you know. And it's, again, it's quite interesting when you're doing it, even if you go over the hips and doing its back leg, it's got its fit up in the air ready for, it, for you to start before you're even ready for it, you can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. ah. But I mean, once I get, get to know what you're doing, what you're wanting, so that's it. What are the last skills of the... Well, there's lots of things we used to make in the smithy. I'd have a job maybe doing it now again. Everything's welded in the fire, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and you to know what you're doing, you to get to know your different heats, you know. Because you get to a certain heat temperature in the, in this, uh, with the steel, and if it gets too hot, it starts burning. And it just, it just flees to bits. Mm -hmm. Instead of welding it together, it just disintegrates. Mm -hmm. The whole shoe, the whole metal just, just again, it's, <laughs> you just need to touch it on the anvil and it falls to bits. Mm -hmm. But if it's not the right temperature. But it was easier when it was iron. Again, the iron's softer than the steel. But when when it when you're work, you see, horseshoes were all made of iron. Mm -hmm. And you used to use, use the iron for to weld out the toes of the shoe for to give a, a grip, give a horse a grip, you know? You, you can a work horse, they're about eight inches, nine inches across. And you to weld the shoes, the, 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 the toe and we, with, a, with the anvil, you know? And it was, of course, it was far easier when it was iron. You didn't burn it the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see, you've got to imagine you've got two bits of metal and you have to get them both red hot, and melting hot again, and you have to get them onto the anvil, and you've got to put one there and one on the top, because you need your other hand to hammer with. Aye. If you've got two bits of hot metal, you've got to be able to hold them on the anvil, and it was as quick as you could go, and then you got your hand, your, your hammer, and you chopped it together. Mm -hmm. It was quite easy once you got into the way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And did you like the horses? Oh, I love, I love shooting the horses. I'd do nothing else if I, if I could get away with it. But I'm too, too old for that now. <laughs> but I like doing the horses, right, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially the Clydesdales, you know. The big ones? They were big, quiet beasts. Mm -hmm. And you got a bit of satisfaction making their shoes. You see, nowadays, all the wee ponies, they're all factory-made shoes now. Not the same skill. You get the factory made shoe, you just shape it and fit it on. But when you actually make them, you to even know what length to cut the metal off it for to fit the shoe, for to fit the mm -hmm. hoof. And it used to be, you measure across the foot and you measure the length of the foot, added them two together and then added two inches for the heels. Again, there was heels turned up in the shoe. Aye. And that's the length you cut your metal off it. Oh. But I mean, a lot of folk wouldn't ever think of that. You can't nobody would really realise that you've got to be accurate at cutting a bit of metal for to make a shoe. See, if you don't cut it the right length, it'll never fit the horse. How long would it take you to make one shoe? We used to reckon, in fact, when I was all Bob blurry was gunning, if you took more than a quarter an hour to make a pair. Wow. They, they were made in pairs. Mm -hmm. And they reckon you should be making four pair an hour. So one every seven minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And but the the thing was, it was it wasn't that hard, because I was a apprentice most of the time, like. But 
the apprentice's job was chopping the big the shoes with the big hammer, making the stamps holes in them for the nails, mm -hmm. and heating the shoes up. And the blacksmith, oh, he he worked at the anvil, and he would have the half, one half of the shoe made, and he he just to turn around, throw the throw throw the shoe in the fire, and that other one that was in the fire was should have, it would have to be ready for him just to take out a, a melting heat, you know. I think the apprentice really had the hardest job doing the chopping and heating the shoes at the same time. Mm -hmm. For you were running at the anvil chopping and then you had the bellows going and he'd, as soon as you were finished chopping, he'd run around to make sure the shoes weren't getting burnt. Mm -hmm. And he, it was up to you to make sure that the shoes weren't ready for him to come out the fire. Mm. So I think the, the I felt that the, the, the apprentice got the heaviest skinny work. Mm -hmm compared with the blacksmith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you learn in the smiddy? Well, just whatever, what only blacksmith makes. Yeah, whatever you make, you got to, whatever you're asked to make, you just made it. You used to build sheds, and you used to make trailers for the farmer. Again, like when it started changing, the smiddy works was changing. It changed over pretty quick, you know, to the horseshoeing and the, repairing plows so you had to move with the times so I started making tractor trailers and I made mm -hmm. quite a lot of them and built cattle courts, sheds, you know Aye Just for something to do but I mean it was a far different job as actually blacksmithing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You weren't just really blacksmithing then but you're more a kind of fabricator, few steel fabricator making trailers and anything they needed but Masonry trailers and sheds, okay. Mm -hmm. For all the smitty work was more or less skinny finish. So, Jenny, I found this wee Victorian nursery rhyme about blacksmiths that's meant to soothe young children whilst you're putting on and off your shoes, so getting them ready for the school run. So, shall we put your booties on, Jenny? <laughs> Please, my feet are very cold. <laughs> Jim Smith, a fellow fine, cam to shoe a horse o' mine. Pit a bit upon the tail to gar the horsey climb the bray. Pit a bit upon the broad to gar the horsey climb the road. Pit a bit upon the heel to gar the horsey trot wheel. <laughs> Oh man, if only I was a child again. <laughs> oh, dearie me. But now it also means that whenever we leave the house, you can be singing me that while I put your shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all know who ties whose shoelaces in this household, Jenny. <laughs> the Kelpie. <laughs> the Kelpie. Annie, Annie, Annie. I'll put your shoes on for you. <laughs> oh, thanks, Kelpie. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Jingle. <laughs> so what I love about the stories of the blacksmith and the smiddy is that they show us how this working class person can shape the whole world with iron and fire. Throughout history, the smithy has played a crucial role in the development of society as we know it. From making weapons for soldiers to defend a kingdom, to making farm tools to feed an entire country, essentially, the smithy is at the centre of the rural world, and therefore the entire world. Yes, 
and it's no wonder that everything which is connected to the smithy, the iron, the fire, the horseshoe, these all become layered in mythologies and legend, because these are all essential for the fundamental functioning of pre-industrial Scotland. And again we see the ways in which mechanisation has changed the very structure of our society. The interwoven nature of so many professions meant that if one changed it had a knock-on effect and so many others did too. Farming relied on the blacksmiths and when the farming mechanised, the smithies were almost totally wiped out. Yes, and we can see the same thing happening again with automation nowadays. It's like waves of societal change coming through where some professions are going to suffer from the progression of technology. I think it's safe to say that there's no farmer nowadays who would dream of going back to the days before mechanisation. Change is inevitable, but it's important that we keep these rural skills alive. And smiddies still do plenty of incredible work, from commissions for making traditional gates and equipment, to artisan sculptures and crafts. Yes, and I feel your papa definitely had a few lucky horseshoes tucked in his back pocket all through his career, from getting his smiddy for free to the job he landed up in Codder, which brought him up here, and essentially the reason why you are from the Highlands, which is really, really cool. true. And even upon his retirement, he rode the last waves of the blacksmiths and retired just in time. It was definitely the lucky horseshoes, I think. (laughs) Or maybe Kelpie shoes. Maybe he's got a couple Kelpie shoes in his pocket. They're meant to be super magical. (laughs) Well, I find it really interesting when my papa said that it was most important to be an honest man because there's actually an ancient Highland custom of swearing your oath, swearing your most truest promise over cold steel or iron. Yes, there was a faith in the magical power of steel and iron against evil-meaning fairies or ghosts as we saw with that that sneaky little Kelpie. Um, (laughs) I guess it means that oaths and promises made over iron are the most honest and true, because otherwise all the realms of fairies could rise against you and smite you. Well, iron and honest men must go hand in hand then. And luck by the looks of it. (laughs) (laughs) So shall we finish with a couple of verses from an American poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow called The Village Blacksmith. So this poem goes out to all of our wonderful American listeners. Hello! We really appreciate your support across the pond. And thank you. So many of them have got in touch with us recently. And so many of them have supported us right from the beginning. Yes, you guys are amazing. And I love America and miss it dearly. Let's put this poem out to our American listeners. And of course, my darling Papa. Yes. Under a spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands. The smith, a mighty man, is he, with large and sinewy hands. And the muscles of his brawny arms are as strong as iron bands. His hair is crisp and black and long, his face is like the tan. His brow is wet with honest sweat, he earns whatever he can. And he looks the whole world in the face, for he owes not any man. And children coming home from school look in the open door. They love to see the flaming forge and hear the bellows roar and catch the burning sparks that fly like chaff from a threshing floor. Thanks, thanks to thee, my worthy friend, for the lesson thou hast taught. Thus at the flaming forge of life our fortunes must be wrought. Thus on its sounding anvil shaped each burning deed and thought. That was lovely. 
That's really oh, great. That's lovely. And significantly easier to read than Scott's poems. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Stories of Scotland. It was really special for me because I feel I feel like these traditional professions from the the smiddy to the sailor to the crofter they're all so wrapped in mythology that I love and that I think makes this place very special mm-hmm. and it's just it, it's it's gone into my heart this episode yep but yes thank you for listening yep and if you enjoyed us please give us a review it helps us a lot on whatever platform you listen on also we have facebook and he loves posting stuff on there um we have instagram i post things on there too usually annie doesn't check them which is quite fun (laughs) and yeah twitter everything else give us a like give us a follow give us a share slanjiva slanjiva One of my most prominent memories from my childhood that yeah. I think I think I suppressed it until <laughs> until the salted caramel trend started. Yes, good trend. So when I was wee, my papa had cows, mm-hmm. and I must have been I must have been just older than a toddler, just a wee bairn. <laughs> I used to follow my papa around when he went out to the cows, and. In the field, they had a big ball mineral lick for the cows. <laughs> and it's how the cows get all of their, their delicious... Um, so they don't get rickets. Salts and minerals, yes. <laughs> Keep them nice and healthy and strong. And they flavour it with treacle. So the cows will lick the ball and it will dip itself in treacle and they'll keep licking it, moving it with their tongue. Oh my gosh. And my papa thought he'd give me a treat, (laughs) but he didn't have any sweeties. So he'd say to me, oh, just go and lick the cow. (laughs) The cow (laughs) mineral lick. And I thought it was delicious because it just tasted like salty treacle. Yeah. And the worst thing about this is this didn't just happen once, Jenny. This <laughs> is that what that is in our back garden? I've yeah. always wondered why you're out there at like 3am. <laughs> sometimes I'd see the cows licking uh, the mineral lick and I'd be thinking to myself, what's that cow doing licking my minerals? <laughs> Thanks, Papa. Thanks, Papa.